The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Earlier this year, news came out that local company Salt Machines, makers of artificially intelligent, emotionally responsive avatars, what some call digital humans, had raised another 40 million US to continue to take their technology to the world. You might have seen them. They work with Air New Zealand and ANZ here and so many companies overseas, from the makers of Mercedes-Benz to big banks in the UK. The success isn't the first rodeo for the chief business officer there. Greek Cross was also a partner in the success of Power by Proxy, another commercialisation of research play that ended up with their wireless charging company sold to Apple for reportedly more than $100 million. Before that, Greek Cross was chair at the Ice House and had a storied career in tech, doing things such as heading up Microsoft when they launched Windows 95, start me up. He took out the 2019 Flying Kiwi Award and was inducted into the New Zealand High Tech Hall of Fame at the recent High Tech Awards. Not bad for a kid that left school without an idea of what he wanted to do. To talk his journey in tech, what's next for AI interfaces, and how New Zealand needs to think global, Greg Cross joins us now. Kia ora, thank you for being here today. Hi Simon, thanks for having me. You've just made me sound really, really old. <laughs> <laughs> the start me up thing is a reference, you know, you'll get that or yeah, it will yeah. be completely over over your heads. It was it was a, it was an absolutely fascinating time. I mean, um, you know, it was the first time a, a software product had, had, had ever been launched to the consumer. Um, television advertising of software had never happened before. Do, you know, a company like Microsoft doing a deal with the Rolling Stones. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, was a, it was an amazing time in, in tech history. So, yeah, I mean, a long, long time ago now. I mean, you know, there's, there's so many kids out there today who wouldn't even know what Windows 95 was. Well, so. They're probably discovering it ironically at the moment. There's a big move in... Um, kind of graphic design to have things that look like an old Windows computer. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I, I guess we'll probably, you know, see an old, you know, Apple, you know, one of the original Apple Macintoshes brought back to life too. I, I only wish I'd kept mine, so, but I didn't, so. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I remember the day that the uh, Apple Macintosh came out, but, um, you know, I mentioned there that you were saying that you didn't know what you wanted to do when you left school, and that was from a remark I saw, I, I think, to a speech you did to... Auckland Grammar. Mm. Um, yeah, like 
the technology industry, it just didn't exist, though. Not to, you know, make it sound like we're, we're back with the dinosaurs, but it just didn't when you left school. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. It didn't. And uh, I guess that was the point of the story I told to the, you know, the, the, the grammar boys last year during their what, 150th year um, celebrations is, you know, um, you can go on to have an amazing career. You can go on to have an amazing adventure. You know, even if you don't have a clue what you want to do when you leave school, and, and you know, as I said, um, the tech industry as we know it today didn't exist when I left school. So, which, which you know, is you know means you know there are likely to be industries just around the corner, particularly now that um, you know kids can figure out as they go along, just as the way I just just in the same way that I did. So. Yeah, how do you go from not knowing that you're interested in computers to heading up Microsoft? Oh, um, I, I guess, you know, just part of the journey. I mean, so I, I, when I left high school, I, I, I gave university a try. Didn't work for me. Well, wasn't really my cup of tea. Um, so, you know, I spent, you know, the first six months at the University of Waikato and it just wasn't something, you know, coming from Auckland Grammar School, coming from a, you know, being a boarder at high school into a university environment at a relatively young age. Um, you know, I just didn't adapt. I just couldn't, you know, so I, so I, I, I dropped out um, and got, you know, from there got a bit lucky, really. I mean, my journey, really, and my journey, my career is about the amazing people that I've met along the way. Um, um, so after, after my short stint at, at university, I joined Trigon Plastics as, in, in those days, it was I was called a management cadet. Um, these days, you'd be called an intern. Um, uh, and it was a program offered by Bill Foreman, uh, who you know, was one of the founders and the managing director of Trigon. And, and he was really wanting to bring you know, young people into, into what was an incredibly high-tech engineering business and, and um, you know, give them an amazing uh, education. Which you know, So I got an education literally on the job uh, from you know, someone I regard as one of New Zealand's greatest entrepreneurs, uh, one of uh, New Zealand's greatest tech entrepreneurs. And Bill kind of inspired me uh, and my whole career from two points of view. One, um, to be, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, and two, he, he inspired me to want to compete on the world stage because you know, although Trigon did have a domestic business, um, Bill was absolutely driven to to make a difference. You know, on the world stage, to compete on the world stage against some of the biggest, some of the biggest packaging companies in the world, and and so. Um, you know, that's where, you know, if I, I go back to two of the biggest bugs I caught very early in my career, um, I attributed to, to Bill. Um, you know, I, Bill, um, uh, about 18 months into my management cadetship, Bill literally threw me the keys to his, you know, his mini computer system, a, a mini computer system which has a fraction of the power we both c carry in our pockets and our smartphones today, but costs millions of dollars. Um, lived in an air-conditioned room, and he threw me the keys and said, "Look, you know, I mean, I've just fired my second lot of computer scientists, guys in white coats." Uh, you know my business, so you go figure out this computer stuff for me, and and that really was my my first job in the in the tech you know business as as the you know I mean I guess it was called electronic data processing or you know or you'd call it today CIO at at Trigon Packaging Trigon Industries. So um, you know through that you know Bill had invested in a, in a software company called Fact International, which, um, you know, after, you know, I, I moved from Trigon into Fact, 
um, and in the late 80s took fact to Boston. So this was, you know, and I, and I lived in the US for a bunch of years. Um, you know, fact was probably one of the first software companies out of New Zealand to try and, you know, succeed on the international stage. So, I mean, so yeah, I mean, yeah, that's kind of where, where my technology, entrepreneurial industry, you know, you know, desire to compete on the international stage really came from. And that first big company we were talking about, Power by Proxy, that you were involved in, at that same time, you were chair of um, the Ice House. Uh, and so I guess scratching that, that itch around the idea of um, helping entrepreneurs do what they, they have to do and, and, and that kind of investor side of things. How did you get into that? And, and you know, what, what was it like um, when you were working there in, you know, 2006, 2007, compared to the massive force it is today? Hmm. So I... So I really just literally come back from a stint offshore, um, working in the U.S. Um, and you know, New Zealand was you know we, we, we had the knowledge wave as a, um, a, a you know as a big I mean I mean it's been quite a seminal event in the in the tech industry in New Zealand. Um, um, you know, with one of Helen Clark's early governments, uh, and, and really from that, a lot of the infrastructure and a lot of the tech ecosystem that exists today got put in place with organisations, you know, like the the Ice House. You know, we we saw the establishment of the you know the venture capital industry or the initial establishment of the venture capital industry way back then. So, um, I mean, these were da- these were very very early days. You know, in the, in the development of the eco, you know the entrepreneurial ecosystem, the tech infrastructure that you know that 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 New Zealand now has today. You know, now now is one of our biggest industries and certainly you know our fastest growing industry. So, I'd come back from offshore. Um, this was sort of po- you know post the dot com bubble burst. Um, I'd had a stint offshore working as an uh, as an entrepreneur in residence for a for a venture capital firm initially out of Silicon Valley and then Tokyo of all interesting places um, and it was a really interesting time to sort you know where I you know was to to start getting involved and and help out I'd spend a bunch of my career living and working offshore so it seemed like the right thing to do to get involved in initiatives like. Uh, like the Ice House initially as their first, you know, non-executive or external director, and then ultimately for for for, for a, a period of time as chairman of the Ice House, working alongside Andy Andy Hamilton and some of the some of the other um, board members that are joined to to really build, you know, be part of building and contributing to that. So. During that era, I mean, I, you know, when I'd got back to New Zealand, I you know, wanted to look at doing something new and something different from an entrepreneurial point of view. I, I got interested in the commercialization of research, you know, deep IP, um, and, and, you know, through the Ice House, you know, started building a relationship with the University of Auckland. Um, you know, the University of Auckland had their Entrepreneurs Challenge, uh, so I got involved as a judge of that. And so, I mean, I started to, you know, become more and more aware of what, what sort of deep research and deep intellectual property was available. I mean, I had a background up to then of just doing what I'd call software regular old software, doing some really, really innovative stuff. But um, this was the first time I'd really looked at something that had deep science, deep research, uh, a patent portfolio around that. And, and that's where I met uh, 
you know, my co-founder at uh, Power by uh, Proxy, Fatty, Fatty Mishriki, who had you know, just you know, graduated from the U- University of Auckland. He had studied the wireless power there and was a you know, v- you know, very accomplished young man, very accomplished uh, uh, wireless power engineer under the tutelage of uh, Professor John Boys, who was, you know, uh, who was the, the father of modern wireless power, if you like. If you think of Nikolai Tesla as the originator, um, Professor John Boys is definitely the father of modern wireless power. And the University of Auckland really had a very, very deep patent portfolio in the space. So, you know, we started with that as a, as a beginning, you know, convincing um, uni services, you know, Will Charles and uh, who's still there um, at Uniservice, convincing them that they should you know, give us a license to to part of that um, portfolio to start a business. And from there, we moved through, um, you know, winning our first customers, um, bringing funding on board from the guys at Movac, um, uh, and then and and then funding on on board from international investors like Samsung Ventures, you know, like. TE connectivity as well, so yeah, I mean, so that became you know that was a, that was a, an, an amazing time, and it was really my first real exposure to working with deep science, you know, deep IP, deep research. But it was you know, I mean, it was a, it was a, a thesis that I, I'd kind of wanted to bring to looking at the technology industry in New Zealand. There's lots of you know, there's lots of great product development here, but you know, to really ground and build a sustainable technology industry, a high-value technology industry, um, because like all industries, you know, um, industries commoditize over time. I mean, software development, you know, um, you know, um, is commoditizing. You know, labor rates. You know, you can you can hire cheap labor in, in the software industry now. It, it, you can build stuff incredibly quickly with with the new tools. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to really explore was this idea that to create a, a, a high value technology company uh, and uh, and contribute to the industry. Commercializing, commercialization of science and, and research was going to be a, a key part of, of that. You know, Power by proxy was, you know, was my <clears throat> excuse me was my first company in the space, and uh, and then you know, I mean obviously Soul Machines, uh, Soul Machines followed that up. So yeah, and it's been such like Power Power by proxy, proxy as you were saying it, it really is kind of like at the vanguard of a lot of those. Um, uh, you, you know, funding, um, commercialization of science, the mature, maturing of the um, uh, venture capital kind of model in New Zealand, and also one of the first kind of key successes because that's the kind of thing that builds out an ecosystem underneath it, isn't it? Something actually working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the, I mean, I mean, the wireless power space that you know, Power by Proxy ended up contributing to was, you know, it was an amazing time to be involved in that part of. The industry. I mean, um, you know, um, building, ha- you know, effectively a, a component for hardware, you know, f- you know, which goes inside of another product, um, whether that's an industrial component or a consumer component like a smartphone. Um, you know, it, it, it is a very different type of commercialization model. Um, the other really um, interesting journey we had at Power by Proxy was the whole wireless standards battle that, that raged um, at the time with um, a number of different 
industry standards and consortiums, you know, battling to become the de facto standard for the consumer electronics industry. I mean, we had you you had groups being driven by you know large organisations like Qualcomm and Intel, who were literally throwing millions and millions of dollars at trying to embed their view of the standard versus. Uh, an industry cooperative um, called the Wireless Power, Power Consortium that we, you know, that that Power by Proxy joined and became a major contributor to the development of that standard. So, um, yeah, I mean, fascinating time, uh, and you know, so many you know amazing learnings. Because if you think about standards battles, you think about things like you know Bluetooth becoming a, a standard. You think about Wi-Fi being adopted as an industry standard. So, so you know it, it was an industry that was shaped by some you know some you know some quite incredible forces. And and for you know for a New Zealand science and technology company like Power by Proxy to become such an influential player. Um, in you know in the formation of that standard and um, and such a big contributor to the wireless power consortium was you know something you know you know both Fatty and I were incredibly proud of um, the our engineers you know at Power by Proxy did, did an amazing job of putting you know us as a company right at the forefront of that that debate. And I imagine that after having had you know investment from Samsung along the way, and any Samsung user has wireless charging uh, as, as an option for them at the moment, and then having sold to Apple, um, you, you know you probably didn't have to uh, you probably didn't have to go back and do another startup. What was it that attracted you to the idea of Soul Machines and and getting into the AI space? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. I love what I do. I love building companies. I love building teams. Uh, I love competing on the international stage. So yeah, no, you know, retirement, um, you know, not an option now. And I, you know, don't expect it to be be something I'm really that interested in in ten, twenty, you know, ten, maybe twenty years time, but not ten years time. So yeah, look, I mean, um, to me, you know, um, life is an adventure. You've got to have fun every day you've got to learn every day and and so that's this is just you know this is what i do this is you know a, another step in, in in that adventure and journey for me so you know post you know post my you know post power, power by proxy um you know i was looking around at a number of different new technologies um that i'd you know i've been introduced to or i'd come across quite quite you know quite quite a quite a Quite across a, a range of different fields, um, um, uh, so I'd spent you know s- six months just you know um, talking to different people, uh, and I had and, I, and started developing a couple of ideas of my own. When a mutual friend of mine um, or a mutual friend introduced me to Dr. Mark Sager, you know, Mark and I had met. You know, briefly, um, New Zealand's a relatively small place. We'd met briefly at a, um, originally at a Morgo conference um, um, a, a few years before that. But we were, I guess, reintroduced by Claudia Batten, uh, uh, an expat Kiwi, ha- you know, had a successful tech career in, in her own right in, in the US. Um, um, Claudia introduced, you know, suggest, suggested Mark and I needed each other. Mark had had his research, you know, following his, you know, incredible career in Hollywood and winning winning Oscars for his animation work on movies like uh, 
um, like like Avatar and and King Kong. Mark had set up a research lab at the University of Auckland, and that had been going since 2012. And you know, Mark was you know in in, in 2016. I think we met in February of 2016. Uh, uh, and Mark was starting to think about spinning the technology out of his you know spinning out of the university and setting up a commercial enterprise and. Uh, so we we met at that point in time, and um, literally we you know literally in the very Kiwi way we we caught up for a beer, um, decided we quite liked each other, and um, have been working you know have been working you know working together ever since. So you know, we we spun Soul Machines out of the university in July of 2016, the 8th of July. So we've just celebrated our fourth fourth birthday um uh, you know and it's been you know it's been an, uh, an amazing you know an, an, an amazing ride you know i mean you know and another big step um for for me another big step for you know for you know for in, in some respects for you know the types of the sort of technology that we're building here you know we we've, we've been We've been incredibly fortunate at you know some of the investors that we've been able to bring on board. So when we spun out of the university, we we, we raised our Series A funding round, um, and we attracted Horizons Ventures out of um, Hong Kong to to, to fund um, uh, us at that point in time. Uh, Selena Chow, you know the principal of Horizons, you know saw what the research work that Mark had done with Baby X, and and like me was completely enamoured with it, um, and she, I mean literally sent a team to New Zealand, told them not to come home until they'd done a deal. So, <laughs> I mean that so that's sort of the start of the the process. And and look, I mean you know I mean as we've moved through through the last you know three or four years you know one of the th you know one of the things you know this amazing technology that we have this world leading science and research that that mark has started and that we've continued to fund at soul machines we, you know we've con continued to attract some of the the biggest and best AI investors from all over the world so I mean it, you know it's been a fantastic journey so far and Horizon were early backers of uh, what became Siri at uh, Apple, weren't they? And so, you know, big, big names in, in AI. C can you tell me a little bit about the kind of the soul bit of Soul Machines? Like, what is the, um, you know, what's what's the difference between what you're creating with these digital humans to just kind of, you know, an avatar kind of wrapping to to a program that's pre pre kind of set? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's it. That's a really, <clears throat> really good question and a really big question. So um, the, um, the 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 concept that Mark you know looked at. So if if we go back to the work, the amazing work that Mark did in in Hollywood. So you know Hollywood as an industry, um, you know, with the advent of Pixar, we saw the development of CGI based movies. So CGI is just computer graphic images. So you know our our digital humans or our avatars are just another form of CGI. Um, so that's one part of what we do. We have we have this you know we have this pipeline which enables us to create these hyper realistic digital people in very very short periods of time. So, you know, you look at a movie like uh, like Avatar, those giant blue creatures we fell in love with, you know, the CGI work on, on you know, each of those cre creatures could take 12 to 18 months. Um, you know, when we built a, 
a digital twin of Will I Am last year, you know, our first celebrity. I mean, that was a you know less than twelve week process. So, I mean, so the, the CGI is part of the technology. How we build our CGI characters is part of our technology, uh, and and what what makes us amazing. But um, CGI characters, you know, we actually build these CGI characters in full 3D. We actually build not just the the face and the skin and the appearance, but you know, we go underneath the skin into the muscle structures and the bone structures, and and then into the 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 virtual nervous system or the, what we call the digital brain. So what's really really special about what we do, and you know, the the neuroscience research, the 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 developmental psychology ecology research that you know Mark's originally engineering team at the university started doing work on was we we actually wanted to come up with this you know Mark started with this concept of how do we autonomously animate CGI characters because if you look at what happens in the movie industry they're animated by actors they're animated by motion capture cameras I mean we've all seen you know, um, video of Andy Circus with his dots on or his ping pong balls on being, you know, and his amazing facial expressions being captured for, um, you know, for the CGI characters that, you know, that data is then used to bring to life. All of that animation, though, is pre-recorded content. The world we're moving into now, this AI world we're moving into now, you know, means that pre-recorded content isn't going to work at, you know for CGI characters that are are being run by AI machines um you know uh, you're just not going to get the quality of interaction and an emotional engagement so you know mark's thesis and and our work and our science and our intellectual property has been you know around this concept of autonomous animation and you know if, so if i describe it really simply you and i are autonomously animated we're animated by our brain um, and the different parts of our brain and how they work together. So, so our research team has actually built a, a working model, you know, of a human brain. You know, and, and the models are, you know, a pretty basic, you know, in some respects when it comes to the, um, the human brain because the human brain is an incredibly complex um, piece of. Um, biological technology. I mean, in, in fact, the world's best neuroscientists only only understand how a small fraction of the d human brain actually works. But, you know, so, you know, Mark and his team start with neuroscientific research papers and then build models, working models of different parts of the brain in, you know, in software. So, you know, um, you know we have a, you know, if, if you think of, you know, three concepts within our uh, within our human brain, we have a brain stem. Now, a brain stem controls our life functions, you know, how we breathe, our heart rate. Um, if we get a fright, it, it controls our, our flight or, you know, fight or flight um, response. So, I mean, that's, a, <clears throat> that's one of the control systems in our, in our human brain. The second is our limbic system, and our limbic sy system in simple terms is our emotional response system, our emotional engagement system. So if I, as I'm sitting here, you know, talking to you, and I smile at you, you smile straight back. Now, you know, that's your limbic system responding to my smile. And when that happens, you know, your, your brain is giving you a hit of dopamine, a hit of serotonin, and that's sending electrical impulses, you know, to your facial muscles, which, you know, exp you, you, you resulted in you, you, you know, smiling and laughing at, you know, my, my, my 
my funny story um, or my attempt at a funny story. So, um, you know, so, we, you know, we've modeled that limbic system and, you know, and sometimes, you know, when I use that as an example, people choose not to smile. Um, that's their cortex, you know, that's their rational brain overriding their limbic system and saying, you know, no, that's not very funny. I'm not, I'm just not going to smile at Greg. Greg wants me to smile, but, but I'm not going to smile. So, you know, that, so, so, you know, these are some of the ways, some simple examples, some, you know, of some complex models that we've built using, uh, you know, a whole range of, you know, what we call biologically inspired artificial intelligence to actually autonomously animate our CGI characters. And that means, you know, when you, when you're talking to one of our digital people, whether it's, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, um, Bella, who was our Kiwi digital companion during the COVID era, Sam, who's one of our digital teammates, um, um, you know, these are all aspects, you know, you're going to get the, you know, you, you, they're going to um, respond and interact with you in real time, just as if you were talking to uh, a real person. And, you know, if, you know, if, if you smile at them, they will smile back. If you get, if they observe that you're getting frustrated or maybe even angry because they're not being very helpful, they'll become more empathetic. So, um, I mean, this is technology, you know, which, you know, um, we go back to your question, injects some soul into every machine. It makes um, artificial intelligence, it makes these amazing machines that are being, now being driven and will in the future increasingly be driven by AI. It makes them more human-like, you know, and because here's the thing you know, about us as human beings is we build relationships and we learn to trust through face-to-face -face interaction, through multi-channel communication. So, you know, but that, you know, face-to-face -face interaction has to be incredibly high quality in terms of the CGI, and it has to be incredibly high quality in terms of the level of animation that, that you're achieving. You know, otherwise it's just like a, a movie that has bad CGI or bad animation. Nobody really wants to watch it. Nobody really wants to engage with it. So, you know, the name, you know, Soul Machines, you know, um, came out of the engineering lab with the with the technology back in July of 2016. It seemed, you know, really, really appropriate to be, to actually describe our company as putting some soul into into the machines of the future. If you love the spin-off, the best way to show it is to become part of the spin-off members. This is the fund that helps us keep free and accessible to all without a paywall. It also funds some of our most important and acclaimed journalism. You can pay what you want, but for just $8 a month, you'll receive a package that includes our first book. Check it out through the spin-off. It's so cool, and it kind of strikes me like the first iPhone did and that you got this phone you're like oh it's pretty cool but you knew that there were a whole lot of people around the world working to kind of add functionality and great apps and great experiences and all the rest around it and I, I, that's the kind of feeling I get when I look at this first generation or the first generations of these kind of digital interfaces because a lot of them are at the moment yeah yeah being that first interface between say a bank and a whole lot of rules of, you know, kind of almost replacing a phone menu that you'd have to listen to and, and beep through or a chat bot kind of talking about regular questions that come in and, and triaging them and providing answers and the like. Um, but doing it in a way that interfaces in a way more human way and creates a, a, a much better experience for people than, than sitting, on a, sitting on a phone and, and waiting for them to get to your, your option. Um, but where's it going? Because that's where it is at the moment. But like, 
where's it where's it going to be in not too long? Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, you know, I mean, great question. You know, we, I mean, the world of AI. I mean, and AI is a, you know, um, in in simple terms, I I always describe you know AI as a bucket. It's a bucket of technologies. You know, you, know, um, you don't buy AI per se, you, you know, you, you, there are a, a whole range of different technologies that exist in the artificial intelligence space. So, you know, and, and we, are, we are only developing, you know, the user experience layer, if you like, or, and our autonomous animation platform, you know, what we, which we call our human operating system is just one aspect of, you know, AI as a technology or this, this future goal for AI, which is described as artificial generation intelligence. So there are huge advances in AI that will happen you know, over the next one year, two years, three years, 10 years. I mean, we're, you know, this is a, an area where, you know, you know, my expectation, our expectation is we'll see, you know, exponential growth in terms of the, you know, capability of artificial intelligence over the next few years. Because I mean, at the end of the day, this is technology that learns from being used and gets better through the application of it. So, um, you know, so I think, you know, we're going to see some, you know, um, some quite amazing direction. So, um, you know, paint a picture within, you know, within the three to five year time horizon, um, you know, you'll be able to, you know, we've, you know you'll be able to create a, a digital version of yourself, Simon you know, uh, um, very, very quickly, literally in minutes, you'll be able to plug that into our autonomous animation platform. Um, you'll be able to train digital Simon, uh, you know, to, <laughs> S- do, to, to send him along to Zoom meetings I don't want yeah, to go to. Yeah, to do the sorts of things you don't want to do or to <laughs> do things that, you know, you know um, can make your life more productive and more uh, efficient. So, um, you know, you know, I you know, I mean, that's a picture that I believe will be possible in the future. You know, you, you know, uh, when that becomes possible, you know, well, well, so, so things like um, oh, send digital Simon off to kind of sort out my insurance and go, can you go over look around and make sure I've got the best deal, or send digital Simon off to um, yeah, I don't know, like is it? it I mean, I imagine it's still quite rules based in the near term. Um, yeah, and you know, I mean, as I say, there's lots of aspects to it, but you know, there's some incredible breakthroughs that are that are coming. You know, I mean, over the next twelve to eighteen months, I mean, there's some, been some incredible technologies we've already seen demonstrated, which yeah, are like the Google the Google phone call uh, yeah, to, to, make, the, the, to see if a restaurant was going to have a um, yeah, reservation for you. Yeah, yeah, the duplex technology, and you know, the duplex technology, you know, in terms of AI technologies. Uh, represents represented two big breakthroughs. Um, one of those is what's called natural language generation. So the ability for um, you know a machine to be able to generate more human-like conversation, <laughs> like by throwing in the odd um and the odd pause and stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, and yeah, I mean, the thing about human conversation is, you know, particularly when it's face to face, you know, um, it becomes you know, there's a whole context that, you know, the words might not interpret. If I say something with a different tone of voice or I say something, you know, with a smile on my face versus, you know, a very serious face, the context or the meaning of the words could change directly. So natural language generation is much more about, you know, um, you know, introducing, you know, the, you know, more depth to the conversational content, get, you know, as opposed to today's technology. So the t- t- technology we use today, which comes from, you know, big companies like, you know, Google, 
Google, Microsoft, Amazon, um, IBM, you know, all of those natural language processing engines we use today, all of that conversational content is actually created by real people. So, you know, you know, so, you know, we're, you know we're creating an enormous number, number of jobs for conversational content writers today. Um, you know, writing conversational content for AI systems, for digital people, for avatars is, is, a, is an emerging career path, um, you know, right at, right at the moment. Because, you know, when you think about it, you know, big brands, whether it's a bank or an automotive company or, a, you know, or, you know, you move, you know an organization like the WHO and the work that we've just started doing there with Florence, I mean, all of that content you know, has to be created. It has to exist. You know, right now, you know, we as human beings, uh, you know, you know, and people in large organisations, we're not going to trust machines to invent conversational content for us or even to stay on script for us. So, you know, so the systems today, I mean, there are many ways in which we'll see, you know, AI accelerate. The other technology that came out in the duplex technology was what, what we call synthetic voice technology. So, you know, most computer systems, you know, um, voices you hear today, whether it's the ones we use, which, you know, by and large, we use, you know, a lot of Google third-party voices or you talk to Siri, they still sound quite computer-like most of the time. Um, that's because they don't have what we call prosody. They don't, they can't in inject emotional expression into it. So voice synthetic technology, Synthetic voice technologies like duplex literally are just around, you know, just around the corner at this point in time, and so all of these things will continue to add to a, you know, a, you know, a, a more and more incredible and a more and more realistic future for for AI. So right now, a lot of the AI is around learning about the best answers to give from a repository, some kind of library of, mm -hmm. of answers that are pre. Uh, pre-made pre and, and ready to be drawn on. And it's kind of when you interact with these avatars, uh, they're a very clever sorting process that read your emotions, uh, read what you're asking, and, and are able to kind of keep keep going down those options. But the next stage will be actually what, what some form of um, uh, generation of answers rather than, yeah, rather mean, than and, a, a library. And that's like, yeah, I mean, this is a shift from natural language processing to natural language generation is, is how I describe it. I mean, the two technologies will always exist. So, you know, if, you know, uh, you know one of the really um, exciting clients we have is the Procter & Gamble brand SK2. So SK2 have built, had us, worked with us to create a digital brand ambassador called Yumi. Um, and Yumi um, introduces, is designed to introduce 20-something-year-old women in America, in China, in Japan about SK2 skincare products and looking after their skin better. So, um, that, so that's, you know, what, you know, so of course, you know, Yumi, the digital ambassador, has to be trained on how to, um, you know, talk about skincare I has to have skincare knowledge and has to also have product knowledge about SK2 products. So, and when you stop and think about it, that's not much different to you know a, a real live SK2 person in an SK2 you know retail store. Um, you know, if you fly around the world, you know you probably bumped into them in in airports. Um, you know, so you know when we employ real people, they also have to be trained on you know what the product knowledge is, how they answer questions, how they stay on brand, how they represent brand value. So these are all components that we have to look at as we you know we create you know digital teammates, digital employees. You know for for our our clients all over the world. 
and it's not too difficult. Uh, not not too different, like it's not too difficult to imagine. Uh, it's not too different to what it's like working in retail or being a waiter or something because you do just say the same kind of script and the same lines because you can't make up a new story every time you talk about the product. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you, I mean, obviously, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, and, I mean, and the good, th- you know, I mean, and there's lots of different ways you can look at you know, the concept of digital brand ambassadors or, or, or digital people. Um, you, know, you know, we've, you know, in, in the COVID-19 era, the work we, we did with Bella, our own Kiwi digital companion, the work we're now doing with the World Health Organization with, with Florence, um, you know, um, this is, you know, this is all about dealing with that this area we, we talk about as terms of crisis management, you know. Now, you know, digital people, you know, they all work off the same knowledge base. You can update that knowledge literally overnight. Um, accurate and timely. It's accurate and timely. It's infinitely scalable. They're available 24 by 7. They can learn to speak, you know, they can deliver content in different languages. Um, you know, so... You know, there are, you know, so when you think about, you know, the way in which, you know, we, um, you know, we, we're managing, um, you know, um, people, you know, d- the distribution of knowledge in the COVID-19 era, you know, th- there's some incredibly valuable tools. And, you know, when we went and showed the World Health Organization, um, um, you know, what we were doing with Bella, you know, he, you know, here in New Zealand during our lockdown period, I mean, they got it straight away and they were, you know, and, and they could see the opportunity to use, to, to use our technology to create a digital a digital health worker. They, they decided to call Florence um, to help with fake news, with myths about... Uh, God, stuff people uh, are co- sharing co- on Facebook. COVID-19. <laughs> um, yeah. But also, the, you know, the other... Um, dimension they wanted to give to Florence was, you know, the, the whole anti-smoking. Now, e- you know, even in times where um, we, you know, you know, pre-COVID nineteen, you know, smoking was one of the biggest, you know, health initiatives at the World Health Organization. Anti-smoking, I mean, one of the biggest health problems that you know around the world today. So, but you combine, you know, smoking with with COVID nineteen, and you know, you have a cocktail. And or a recipe for for, for for disaster. So, I mean, that became the second big obvious um, opportunity for 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 the World Health Organization. And you know, I mean, you know, it's amazing to think that you know we introduced our technology to the World Health Organization at the end of March, and here we are, you know, and at the it was the end of the first week of July, um, in an incredibly short space of time. Um, we we introduced them to the concept. We negotiated you know a contract, a deal, and actually brought the whole technology to life. Uh, you know uh, 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 and launched it. So it's it's you know I mean pre COVID nineteen days that might have taken a deal like that could have taken eighteen months um, to put together. So you know we now live in a world which is increasingly digital. Um, you know digital. Uh, you know, digital is going to be an important platform for every organisation, every business, every government in the world as they look at how they deliver brand experiences, how they deliver products, how to, product knowledge, how they deliver services going forward. Um, you know, the world of digital, you know, I mean, we, you know, we describe it, as, you know, as being a race to digital or a digital now is 
incredibly important no matter where you look in the world now you know, you know um, we, we are incredibly fortunate here in New Zealand we can go shopping when we feel like it now you know retail stores are all open but in many parts of the world that's that's not the case you know and so people's habits are changing now. I mean, people are, you know, the growth in e-commerce transactions has grown incredibly over the last uh, over the last few months. So, um, so digital becomes a big part of the way in which you know we all have to think about our futures, and that's you know, I mean, that that represents an opportunity for us as an organisation. It certainly represents an opportunity for for New Zealand, New Zealand business, and New Zealand industry as well. Yeah, you see people talking about the pace of digital adoption you're now getting kind of you know a year every month and that's not going to let up uh, while the rest of the world is living in this alternate reality to us and I, I imagine that's part of why you know you've got to do these big fundraising rounds as um, you know mentioned in the intro that round that popped uh, into the news earlier in the year uh, nearly 60 million New Zealand dollars it seems like quite a lot but I guess your competitors are very heavily funded, and it is a race. You've got to be out there pushing this into the world. What what kind of what kind of thought process goes into raising rounds of that size? Yeah, um, yeah. There's a you know, I mean, there's a real difference between the sort of funding you need for a software company, you know, just you know, I mean, a, a software company that's building an application, and a company like ours that's doing you know cutting edge research, you know, and 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 exploring the frontiers of, of in some, many respects, scientific, re, you know, scientific and technology research. So, you know, I mean, it, you know, so when you're, you have a company based on deep research, deep science, deep intellectual property, I mean, it, it does require a different approach to your capital strategy. It does require a different type of funding model and um, if you're going to be successful when you're going to compete. You know, I mean, we regard ourselves as one of the world's leading researchers in artificial intelligence. You know, we're not, ju- we're not, not just a software defel- developer that uses AI, but we're one of the world's leading researchers, fundamentally contributing to the underlying research, intellectual property, technology that is artificial intelligence as a platform and and if you're going to try and compete like that yes it, it requires a completely different funding strategy a, a completely different approach to, to capital raising and for us that meant that's meant um, really looking at how we want to track on the on, 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 against our peers in in the world stage so you know so um, you know you know um, so you know, our Series B round, you know, 40 million, you know, just over 40 million US. You know, we've, you know, we're four years old. We've raised 65 million US dollars, you know, US $65 million already as a company. Now, you know, that, you know, that affords us the ability to have a team of researchers and scientists and engineers to continue to push forward, you know, you know um, some of the amazing work that we're doing. And, you know, we lead the world in, in terms of, this, the work we're doing on autonomous animation. And what's really exciting for us is, you know, if you go back over history and you look at um, the creation and breakthroughs of a, in, in animation, um, billion-dollar organizations, billion-dollar industries have been created as a result. So, you know, I mean, 
you can go back to the innovative work that Walt Disney did with you know animation tables to bring you know his original the Mickey Mouse characters Donald Duck characters to life I mean that you know was the basis for you know became the platform for creating the Disney Empire I mean you can look in more recent history the amazing work that you know Pixar did to bring the first fully CGI movie um, to life, um, you, you know, using their, their you know, uh, uh, you know, breakthrough CGI technology, breakthrough animation technology. So all of these are, you know, these were, uh, you know, another billion dollar, you know, um, company and an industry were created. So, um, you know, we're, we're we're playing, you know, in a in a very competitive market for, you know, you know, big, you know, for, for potentially, you know, very big rewards, you know, you know, if we can, you know, if we if we can execute. Um, if we can use that capital in the in the smartest way that we possibly can, I mean, and but you know, I mean, you know, as a, as a venture funded company, you know, we you know we you know we continue to we we've continued to employ people. You know, we have nearly 160 people around the world. I mean, that you know that you know a large large percentage of those people are scientists and researchers and engineers. It, it costs a lot of money to. To, to keep an organisation like us going and to keep us at the forefront of what we do around the world. And a lot of people have spent a lot more than 60-odd million US in the world of AI or animation or digital interfaces and got a lot less to show for it uh, across, <laughs> across, the, um, across time. Your latest round brought in Salesforce, who, you know, if you don't, if you don't work in the, the world of kind of... Um, online CRM kind of things, people may not know just how big a force sales force is in the world, but one of the most successful SaaS companies and one of the biggest uh, inter- interaction points between customers and businesses in the world. So pretty, pretty remarkable vote of confidence to, to get them on yeah. board. Yeah, look, I mean, yes, I mean, you know, having Salesforce invest in the last round, the, the investors that we attracted into the last round, were, I mean, they were all out, you know, outstanding um, wins for us and, and, you know, an endorsement for, you know, the research work that, you know, Mark and his team have been doing, the, 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 the you know, the business development work that, you know, me and my team have been doing as our part of that partnership. Um, you know, so, I mean, um, you know, look, you, you know, Salesforce was a, what, what, what was fantastic to, 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 you know, get them to come in and invest in this, this round. You know, we also had, um, you know, investors like Tomasic, the the global you know the global VC fund, you know one of the largest VC funds in the world, um, he, you know based out of um, headquartered out of Singapore, invested in in this round. Um, Lakestar, one of the biggest VC funds in Europe. So you know you kind of you know you can see how we've thought very very carefully about um, the types of investors that we want in this round. Um, you know Horizons, you know you know um, Selena, who as you mentioned at the outset. She'd invested in, in the Siri team. You know her most recent successful investment was Zoom, which you know, um, you know, which you know, we all know the Zoom story as a result of COVID nineteen. Yeah. And you know, we've, we've already mentioned it once in this interview. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, Zoom. You know, I mean, Selena was a big investor in Zoom. So um, at, at its very very early stages. So you know, you know, we, look, the quality of our investors, I think, uh, you know, um, you know, is an endorsement of the hard work that you know our, our team does for us on a day-to-day basis and the 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 high regard that our technology is held in on the international stage so 
Tell me about that investment journey, as you've got an interesting situation, having been, uh, you know, involved in the Ice House and some of the, you know, the early kind of um, building of the investment community here, but also having been invested in by Movac and then getting into a position to actually be running some of the investing for one of the larger kind of funds in um, in New Zealand. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, look, the I mean, the New Zealand venture community and the guys at Movac are, you know, I mean, are, I mean, they're doing an amazing job supporting the development of, uh, you know, new, new new generations of entrepreneurs and 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 new companies that are that, that you know we that continue to come up. I mean, look, w- you know, winning you know winning venture investment is tough. You know, let's be really really clear. I mean, only a fraction of you know, a small fraction of tech entrepreneurs actually ever get to win, you know, venture investment from a venture fund. It's, an, it's you know, I mean, so you're competing to be the best of the best. And so, you know, if you want to, you know, win investment from, you know, from a Movac or a, you know, or, or a Salesforce Ventures or a Horizon Ventures, you know, you know, you have got to be really, really lo- laser focused on being the best at what you do, because it's not just about getting an idea, you know, money for an idea. It's about execution. It's about putting a team of people together that, um, you know, is highly credible and can, you know, can debate and put in place strategies and then go out and execute against those. So, you know, I mean, it, it's not for the faint-hearted. The risks are very, very high. Um, you know, I mean, you know, the COVID nineteen era has seen huge numbers of companies that have successfully raised venture funding run out of money um, you know as you know the, uh, the, the you know as you know investors have taken a very conservative approach to investing you know during you know during the last three to six months so you know it, it you know it's it's incredibly challenging you know you've got to want to be you know, that insanely competitive focused to to be in that you know, you know, one percent. I mean, often, you know, often, you know, the sorts of numbers that you, you'll hear quoted for, you know, for 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 the a thousand, you know, uh, business pitches, you know, or PowerPoint presentations that get sent to a to a venture capital a venture capitalist, they will actually they might actually read, you know, a hundred. They might um, invest. They might I mean typically they'd only invest in you know, most funds would only invest in make ten investments a year. So you know it is a very very competitive. Um, field to be in. I mean, you know, not everybody gets funded. It, you know, so, but it, but it, I mean, it's good to see the size of the pool increasing in New, New Zealand. It's good to, you know, the more people invest, you know, the more funds people manage, the more experienced the the community comes, and and, and that's value creating in its own right. So. Yeah, I think you know the Movac guys just announced they were they were you know just starting off raising another another big new fund, which you know you know um, is incredibly exciting for the, the the you know the venture community here here in New Zealand. Having done two commercialisation of some really interesting research things, what does it take to 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 make that work? And yeah, what have you learnt about? Um, yeah, that that kind of really interesting piece of commercialising research. Yeah, I mean. So when you're going to get into commercialising deep research, you know, um, you, know you, you I mean, it's, I mean, it's, there's another level of, I mean, I guess, discipline required when you, you know, and, and capability required when you look at that because, you know, you've got to be able to imagine how you can build a business around it. You've got to be able to 
understand how you know how well that research is protected. So once you get into the areas of research and science, you know things like patent portfolios become you know become a lot more important. I mean because you know patent portfolios, building you know patenting your technology is one way of creating creating value from a you know an IP or a research based organization so it's you know your ability to dig into that um, but ultimately all of the stuff you know and f- for me comes down to the people you know are the people that you know the researchers that have have worked on this technology you know are they the smartest people in the world in the research that they are doing because i mean that's a really really important thing and you know and um you know, whether you can call it good luck, you can call it good management. Um, um, you know, Professor John Boyes, Doctor, you know, Doctor Mark Sager. You know, it doesn't matter which way you look at, you know, their research and their, and their work. They are, you know, they lead the world in their in their research and 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 the science that they you know that they've they've built within within a university. And then you know, via power by proxy and soul machines, I've had the opportunity to commercialize. Uh, and build businesses around. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to the quality of the people um, because it's the quality of the people that actually drives the quality of research anyway. So it's like most things in life. It always comes back comes back to the people you, you, you choose to sp- spend your time with. And as a last thought, Having had, you know, two, two uh, you, you know, a number, actually a whole range of very successful kind of things you've been involved in, what will success be for you? Um, yeah, I mean, you focus on successes, but you know, the, clearly, there's, the, I mean, there's been failures. There's been lots of learnings along the way. I mean, that's the life of of an you know entrepreneur. Um, you know, I mean, you know, um, pure black racing was a was a venture I was responsible for. Um, you know, which I was a co-founder of as well. I mean, uh, setting up a professional cycling team here in New Zealand, and you know, um, you know, we got caught out by the the Lance Armstrong phenomenon. You know, the Lance Armstrong doping thing go, being admitted to and going public, which pretty much shut down the funding of the cycling industry, or the professional cycling industry around the world so look there's always you know behind every success there's multitudes of failures and and lots of learning so for me um yeah what i tend to focus on is what i learn along the way because that's that's you know really what life's all about it's the adventures you have the people you hang out with and what you learn learn every day and 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 how that changes what you do you know tomorrow which is ultimately the only thing in life that you can change you know um, what what's coming next rather than what you've done so you know for me it's, it's just um for me just a part of the journey ah, that's so cool thank you so much for coming and sharing part of that journey today that's greg cross co-founder at salt machines Thanks, Simon. Nice to talk to you. Hey, and thank you so much to Jane Yu for producing. And thank you very much for having us along in your ears. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, 
Jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.